This is the Outpace Coaching Podcast presented by Coach Anthony and Coach Peter. And together, we strive to help you outpace the competition. In this podcast, we dive into everything endurance sports related and give you our perspective on what will make you faster. Hi, this is uh, Coach Anthony here. And Coach Peter. And uh, we are back. Um, it is now slightly warmer outside. There is no snow, which is which is good and, and exciting. And no Christmas tree in, yeah. your, uh, in, the, in, the, living room. in the living room. It only yes. took you two months to take that down. <laughs> Seven months till we put it back up. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we are here with a special guest, um, Dina, my wife. This is Anthony speaking. <laughs> Happy to be here. Yes, good, good. Um, so we're going to kind of jump into more or less kind of race recaps, some training recaps. What happened in the last month. Yes, correct. And uh, and more or less things that you you as an audience can take away and learn from um, from things we've done wrong or things we've done well. Mm-hmm. So kind of starting off with, with Peter, uh, how did the Berkey go? Tell me about it. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean... The weather was great. Uh, actually, I was worried about the weather building up to it because it was like going to be 40 degrees. And we showed up on Friday before and it was like, I think 39 and sunny and it looked like everything was melting. Um, so to me, I was like, oh, this is going to be horrible. Like, you know, like the weather oh, is yeah. not cooperating. Yeah. But I mean, it actually turned out to be the opposite. You know, I think everyone says that last year was like really bad weather because it snowed so much before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the, I mean, the conditions were amazing. I think like everyone got a PR. You know, all the pros went like sub two. It's ridiculous. Um, so yeah, the weather was good. I, you know, everyone warned me that it was like the first time experience yeah. and the the wave eight, which it was. Um, and I'd definitely be lying if it didn't like upset me slightly just you know like you're a competitive person and you want to you know there's just tons and tons of people I mean I think that's part of what makes the event cool yeah but at the same time when you're in the moment it's really upsetting yeah and you have to like force yourself to be like all right just enjoy the scenery it's beautiful weather and then you hit the bottom of a hill and there's 200 people just waiting to walk up it you know yeah um but no, I like so so that I think is the one learning experience that it's just like it's part of the experience. Yeah. Um but I think past that, you know, like the race is great. They, it's a, it's an incredible race they throw on. Um you know, like it went super well. After about mile 10, I could actually kind of open things up a little bit and actually and, race and, a little. Yeah. Bit. And I don't know if you remember from when you do it, but there's like a bunch of sections where all of a sudden you turn the corner and it's like super wide you oh, know yeah, you yeah, could sure. fit like like probably 20 people wide those sections are great because you could just like go for it yeah, you know yeah, yeah. but then all of a sudden you turn on this hill and it's like Whoa! and it's just like these tiny little sections and then you know you're yeah. kind of stuck right? yeah it's it's uh it's definitely that first the, the kind of initiation into into the Berkey scheme is, yeah. is brutal but yeah. but if there was anything in particular um, so that the audience can gain gain from your experience, like what would you do differently if there is anything in your lead up training wise yeah. or in the race itself, yeah. knowing that next year will be different, you know, yeah. of course, being in a faster wave. Well, I mean, honestly, I think I kind of overlooked it, even though everyone told me the wave thing. And this is just specific to me. I mean, you know, maybe people are at different speeds, at different ski fitness, you know, um, but I maybe would have taken 
a race prior and actually tried to compete in like the Loppet or something and qualified. I mean, I kind of just dismissed it. I was like, no, that, that that doesn't make any sense. I'll just do it. But you know, in, in, in the race's defense, like I don't have an excuse to sit there and be upset because I wasn't willing to give it a try at a different race. Right. Um, but I think past that, I mean, you know, it's just like it seemed like a lot of volume in the buildup yeah, yeah and like a couple of those you know three and a half four hour skis seemed like a lot <laughs> especially at highlands but i mean it made a huge difference yeah. like it, like the berkey didn't feel like that much because i had done three to four 30 to 40 mile days at highland sure you know yeah, yeah. um so i think that's huge um and i i think the other thing too is kind of so one huge pointer that I definitely did not train well enough on was actually training. Like I would always go at six in the morning when it was perfectly groomed. There was no one out there. Oh. I could just go as fast as I wanted. And I never forced myself to go like Saturday at noon when it's like kind of crappy snow. There's people everywhere. <laughs> There's like six high school teams out around and you have to, you know. That's true. Yeah. 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 So like. If I could do anything differently, like every weekend route, I would force myself, maybe if I have a two a day, you know, I'm swimming and skiing, I'd swim first and then ski. Okay. So it's like the sun's been baking on the skiing, the downhills are are kind of fluffy, you know, the uphills, there's people there. Um, So it's like, it's like training in that environment. You know, it's like the same thing with triathlon people go out for their first open water swim and all they've done is like the pool by themselves. Yeah, yeah. And then it's just like this panic because all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. you're in a washing machine. And I kind of felt the, the same way there. Like I was falling, I was hitting people's skis and like, you know, my heart rate was increased and everything. So if I could change one thing, it'd be I, that. Yeah, yeah. Train the way you're going to see it yeah. on the race. I don't know if you saw that on the first time. Yeah. I, I think, um, at least personal experience and, and for myself, like I've only been doing ski races for like four years. So I don't have that much, but, but when it comes to just racing in general, like it's just such a, it's chaos at the start. Yeah. There's just so many poles and skis going every which direction. So I think just, uh, you broke your pole yeah, last year. Just just doing a <laughs> doing a few races leading into it next year. No, that's a good but, idea. I mean, with your experience this year, you're going to be that much better off. Um, so so things that you've learned from. But now, what do you feel like you did really well with this race specifically? Whether it was during the race or the training leading up. Well, I mean, I think it's twofold it's the training like the race felt good because of the training yeah okay sure sure like i like i I, not to get super nerdy in it but that's how that's why part of the reason why i like endurance sports is like i'll go open my file and look at my splits and all that stuff but i had multiple splits that are clearly on the open sections and including like the last three miles that were deep into like the four minutes per mile which for me i mean that's that's pretty fast you don't even you don't really see that when you're training but like i was i was when I had the opportunity and I wasn't stuck behind people, like I could open it up and sustainably, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only thing that really held me back, again, sound like a broken record, is just the fact that there's people everywhere and you're just stuck behind people due to the nature of the race. Yeah. So like I think you with the, your training plan for me hit the nail right on the head because like I had no problems opening it up. 
And like I didn't, I felt really good about that because my body was not my limiter. Oh, yeah. It was my surroundings. Just, just the, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, like at the end when you, you know, you hit the lake and everything, that felt amazing because I was just double pulling, just like going as hard as I could and not getting fatigued. Like if I was running that hard, I would. That was like it felt like five k type running. You know, oh yeah, yeah. I was just going as hard as I physically could once I hit the lake. Yeah, so. some open, some open terrain. To, yeah. To so I think life. the training was good. I mean. Like, I think it speaks to the efficacy of skiing in the off-season. Oh, yeah. Like, the the amount of volume. I, I would never even imagine putting that much volume in over the winter of running. Or biking or yeah. on the train. But, like, that I, I did consistently hour, two, three-hour skis four or five times a week and felt fine. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, it's like... It just, just doesn't beat your body It speaks up. to how effective skiing in the off-season yeah. is. Yeah. It's like cross-training. Yeah. Yeah. What I really want to know is what did you think of the snowmobilers at the bottom of the hill when they're cheering on people to fall? Oh my, yeah. <laughs> like the most sadistic part of the yeah. crowd. It's like all of a sudden I know it's a bad sign when I could hear a lot of people no. because that's when it's like, you know, the downhill turn. Oh, so yeah. deadly because there's so many people ahead of you. Every, there's like these big tunnel-y grooves oh, yeah, that people have made yeah. and then that's where everyone you know you're right it's like the snowmobile is like you know yeah. that's what triggers it it's like yeah. okay this is gonna suck they line the course and they want to see people yeah fall. and it's super hard to have any like handling in those you kind of kind of just like pick your lane really hope the person in front of you doesn't yeah. fall because like if you try and jump from lane to lane, oh. you're really getting into like the fluffy snow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Those were, I mean, those did give me anxiety, <laughs> yeah. I will say. But yeah. thankfully there was only like three, I think three or four of them. Yeah. yeah. And I never fell, but oh, I definitely yeah. saw people fall. Yeah. Okay. And they got significantly louder cheers than everyone yeah. else. It just, just kind of Ridiculous. Up, yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, yeah, so yeah, thanks. That's that's awesome. And, and now next year, you're just going to yeah, be that much wait. more. No, uh, uh, that experience really helps. So now, Dina, you yeah. know, this last month, um, a few of us went to California for uh, the Napa Valley Marathon, um, and Dina did really well. And, and same thing along the lines, like we addressed with Peter. Like, what do you feel like leading into it? Whether it was the training. Um, or even the race itself, what do you feel like you did really well? And then what do you feel like, you know, next time when you do your next marathon, what do you, uh, want to do better? And I should note too, this, this is our first, uh, open marathon, not with an Ironman. So it was yeah, a whole a different, different experience. So a PR. But, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a PR no matter what, but she, she was, uh, she, I should just highlight on the, the time. So she was 317. Um, right, three seventeen. Mm-hmm. Um, Super. Fast. And she was just qualif- she was hoping to qualify for Boston and kind of going into it, didn't know what to expect. But uh, but yeah, she did really well. And so yeah, go ahead, Dina. Yeah, yeah. So it was really fun running my first open marathon. It was weird feeling fresh at the beginning and not really feeling <laughs> yeah. those highs not and lows. Not hundred mile bike before. Yeah, not worrying that okay, here's the start of the marathon. Hopefully, I can finish this. Versus, all right, this this is the race, so I guess I can't you know yeah, walk true. some areas as much and feel comfort in the swim and the bike that it made up for it. Um, but no, it was, it was really fun. And I think at the beginning, you know, my initial goal is to qualify for Boston. And, I, and having not run that marathon before open, at first I thought, I don't know if I can run under 3.30, but I think the things that went really well were the focus on um, the process and the journey. And one was executing the plan. And second was like taking comfort and knowing that running slower than I ever have before yeah. really polarizing my runs yeah. hard days hard easy days easy yeah. would still set me up for a good race despite knowing that you know some days when 
as run at two minutes slower than race pace felt tough that it 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 would still set me up for a good race and so um you know taking comfort and confidence in each day and the process I think really just helped me feel like yeah actually I can run this and on the day of the race my goal was 315 and so um you know 317 I was really happy with and um I think overall the journey to that just helped me feel confident going into looking that. looking back at it do you have did you have two minutes in your legs oh yeah, yeah. well that's the thing so is I think that's know. one of the things I could have done better is that well one I could have added strength training in which yeah Anthony a little, little lack of strength training I'm not gonna hindsight's always 20 well because when I got to mile 20 <laughs> when I got to mile 20 cardiovascularized I still felt fine but like my legs were feeling more fatigued but there was one point I stopped for the restroom at like mile nine and after that point, I was like, oh, I got to pick up the pace because yeah. I got to get back to the to runners. Yeah. yeah. And so I ran the next three miles probably too fast and the fastest of the entire race. Yeah. That I think with still 15 miles to go or, you know, 16, 17 to go at that point that it probably impacted me more yeah. at yeah. the end. Yeah. And the, but, uh, what's funny too, along, along the same lines of that story is, when she went to the bathroom, I was actually there at that point in time and I saw her go in and then she came out and she had headphones in when yeah. she came by and I was like, just settle back into your pace. And she thought I said, pick up your yeah. pace. Oh, like, really? so, she, so, she, so that didn't help either. But. Yeah. I was like, but, I know, I know. I'll get yeah. So that's a good, that's a good one. Do you, do you run, like if you did a marathon, would you use headphones or you um, no headphones? I, I probably depending on I probably wouldn't, but yeah. there were there. That's one thing with like tri- difference between triathlon and like you don't have marathon. Any to try, right? Yeah, you don't have a choice. Whereas marathon, you can, but I I probably wouldn't. But yeah. it's personal preference. I just like yeah. sometimes it just annoys me yeah. personally. So you you prefer having music? Yeah, I think personally this time it was almost like a secret weapon both in training and during the race because I, like psychologically I can't hear myself getting tired. So yeah. I'm just like, oh, this is fine and. I've been always used to high school and um, college cross country running with others and with the team. So you're kind of like, you know, comparing the other person and seeing how they feel versus just like focusing on myself, you know, that yeah. I, I feel fine. And yeah, it's kind of nice just to tune out and just like focus on my pacing, my race. And, yeah. and the I think it's itself. interesting. Like the, I mean, I don't know the data specifically, but I know there is data around like studies people have done with music. Like, I think it's twofold because a lot of people talk yeah. about, Oh, music, like it's a, it's a natural painkiller. Um, it has all these performance enhancements and everything, which I'm sure it does. But I found with myself, like, especially when I was training for Twin Cities, when I had music on, like typically because I'm listening to music, I'm trying to pump myself up. So I would listen to, you know, mm-hmm. rock and, and all like mm-hmm. techno and stuff with like a high, it would always increase my heart rate. And so, like, I worry that I was always worried that I'm listening to music and I'm pumping myself up more mm-hmm. and I'm working up my heart rate more than now. That might be getting too into the weeds. So I was always afraid on a race to listen to music unless it's like a five k, yeah, which is like yeah. you're maxing out anyway. Yep. Yeah, you know, I thought of that tip that you said. Yeah, because we talked ago. about yeah. that on the run. Yeah. yeah, and so what I did is I started the first half of my playlist at a lower um, tempo type yeah, that's smart. music. Yeah. And then the end of my race was all the songs I heard during my like tempo workouts and when it was getting tougher. Strategic yeah. playlist. So I was like, I like it. so that tip helped. I was like, yeah, I need to make sure that it's calmer yeah. at the Yeah, because once you're in the last stretch, screw no, it. Like, yeah, you're like just, I need every you're burning every, all the fuel yeah. you have anyway. Right. 
And coming back to your point in regards to like running those easy days easy, yeah. hard days hard, like you even mentioned like in college when you ran yeah. with the cross country team and, <laughs> and ran both track and cross country throughout all of, all of college, like you'd always go so hard yeah. all the time yeah. and you never... You yeah, feel like how long were those races usually? Well, well 5K. but still yeah. training wise, oh, yeah. like you yeah. still have easy days and hard days, yeah. and those easy days would be like slow days are too fast, fast yes. days are too slow. Right? So you just like and you and you were, I mean, you feel like you would have never been able to do a marathon like at this pace yeah. with your collegiate training just because it was that. Was yeah, that, no. I don't think so, and maybe that was because half of my team were on the um, national championship team, and here I was, like, yeah. fresh out yeah. of high school, oh, yeah. so I'm running their easy <laughs> yeah, paces yeah, and yeah. their yeah, cruise paces. Yeah. That's not that's not mine, so yeah, I was too much in the gray zone all the time, yeah. Yeah. and just felt always felt tired into every day. So many, I mean, you could speak to that coaching, So I think so many athletes yeah. fall into that, yeah. and that's been interesting for me now, getting into coaching, is like... I was on the other side annoyed with you saying, this is dumb. I'm running at 10 minute miles. This yeah. is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. You know, but like, it's amazing two years down the road, yeah. what the, that 10 minute is now seven thirty eight. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah, like, right. if you, it's a long term endeavor, but like, if you commit to it, it works yep. every time. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. No, those are, those are good recaps. Thanks guys. Yeah. 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 And when it comes to um, my recap, I don't have any. <laughs> now it's positive. I don't have any races yeah. to recap, which isn't as exciting. But but um, but yeah, we uh, some of you may have may know this, but I went to Austin with Dina. You know, probably about I was planning on doing the marathon and had been dealing with some running related knee knee hip issues for for five plus years now, and just just wasn't sure exactly whether or not I would do it. But our trip to Austin about four weeks ago was gonna I was gonna do some running, see how it felt, and then decide from there. And then crashed on my bike um, and separated my shoulder, which which was uh, not uh, went over your handlebars, not, went over, over someone, the, over the handlebars. Um, and then the shoulder was kind of immobile when it comes to trying to run; it was too painful and stiff. So. So uh, just went and cheered Dina and the rest of the group in California, and and then I'll be back for the Berkey next year yeah. for sure. And so yeah. what? So question off that, what yeah. does that? So obviously it was in a group ride. Group ride, right? yes. I yeah. mean, like, and I crashed last year yeah. in a group ride going yeah. like twenty five. So what's your take on a triathlete who isn't even allowed to draft? <laughs> training in that capacity in group rides and the repercussions that could happen from them. Yeah, that's that's a difficult question because so many. I mean, so many people rely on that group atmosphere. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, for not only the training stimulus but also just for the social aspects. And um, I guess you just have to balance the risk. I mean, knowing that if you're riding consistently with a group, at some point you will probably be involved with a crash. Yeah. And if you're okay with that and you're okay with the ramifications and trying to be as safe as you can, like go for it. Yeah. But personally like knowing that i've the last couple of years i feel like i've been in multiple groups with crashes that have been pretty serious yeah i i personally feel like i can get a better workout done on my own and i'm much more safe you still risk being out on the roads you know with cars and whatever else but you can you can you can see what's going on in front of you when yeah. it comes to the road um so, There's something to be so, said about yeah. finding like two or three people to yes, ride with two or three and people. just keeping your distance. Yeah. Like, all right, we are doing a century today. We yeah. all have a race that we're training for. We're not going to draft yeah. because you can't draft in that race anyway. Yeah. But that way I'm not like doing six hours on the roads by myself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like I think it's finding a happy medium. And I should clarify too, I think a small group 
that you you know the people around you you've maybe biked with them before you've you know that that makes a big difference yeah, you know sure. so if a group of three four five people that you know you've been around again maybe they're they have very similar skill level it's not a random group where someone is just getting used to biking and then they join the group just because they saw the group online or something that's where it's really risky is because you you just don't know who you're biking with in that case yeah um but yeah so yeah scary and something to be aware of but you know just uh there's an inherent risk with biking in general right yep so um yeah and then just want to highlight too what's kind of coming up uh for for team outpace uh we're going to be uh in about a month now going to tucson to do a training camp um, which is going to be super exciting. Do some biking of Mount Lemon, um, and then just kind of hang out and just kind of kick the season off. And then the the team is doing Ironman seventy point three Chattanooga coming up in in May. So, so those are the big things kind of coming up for Team Outpace, which is super exciting. The summer months are getting closer. One thing on that yeah. Chattanooga, like, what do you think on that swim course change? Yeah, because basically what it, what it is is now wait because before was it slightly upstream and then Correct. downstream? Yeah. So now it's all downstream, but they added point yes. two miles. Yeah, yeah. which yeah. I guess I'll take. I mean, if it's gonna overall help. I guess it depends on what your strongest is. I mean, I'm sure there's some really strong swimmers that are pretty miffed about this. Hey, but they get to swim 0.2 extra, so. Yeah. I guess, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I just, I've never done that river thing. Oh, yeah. I've heard people talk about the ridiculous gains you can get from it. I'm, like, really curious to see what it's actually about. Yeah. How fast you end up going. I think it can vary. We, I mean, we like a mile in fifteen minutes. Yeah, Louisville, <laughs> Louisville is normally yeah. never like that, but yeah. because of the rains and whatever else, it was just so fast that day, and yeah, yeah, it was ridiculous. So we'll but, see. I'm curious. Yeah. Now for your monthly minute, where we offer you a training and racing tip. This month, we're going to talk about just maintaining motivation through the spring when tri-season can still be a long ways away for a lot of people. Um, the few things to do, review your goals, uh, focus on the why. What is the process, the training, the day in and day out? Um, why are you doing this? Uh, and, and review those reasons. Sign up for an early season race, whether that is maybe a 5K or a duathlon or maybe travel to a triathlon. And then surround yourself with triathletes, um, whether it's in a group session, training-wise, uh, having a team, um, such as Team Outpace, uh, have that encouragement um, just to, to keep, keep each other motivated um, prior to the season. That concludes your monthly minute. Now for the main topic of this month's podcast, nutrition and fueling. All right, so this month's main topic is nutrition and fueling. Um, Before we start, just a little disclaimer here. Uh, This shouldn't come as news to anyone, but we are not trained uh, or certified nutritionists, dietitians, doctor, no, nothing like that. Um, So this is basically us going through from our perspective, um, you know, and take it with a grain of salt. We understand that nutrition is very complex. Uh, It can be a contentious topic. Um, everyone's gut and body is different, um, and there's no one size fits all for this, Uh, and and nor do we think that there is. Um, but we do want to at least talk through it from our perspective, um, and, you know, give our take on it. So I guess let's, 
let's kind of to jump into it Anthony maybe you want to go first so what's your overall take on um, endurance nutrition uh, for for an athlete's kind of what 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 do you think is optimal yeah um, yeah I mean like you mentioned the topic is so complex and I think where people sometimes uh, um, lack the ability to to view like that it's not one size fits all um, or you know it, there could be you know it doesn't have to be low carb or high carb it could be right in the middle um, you know it's yeah, it's all yeah all or nothing kind of philosophy but it usually doesn't work <laughs> no no yeah and I would say my approach um, in general is just to periodize your nutrition based on your training um, so that you can balance your performance but also your health knowing that most of the people that that we coach are amateur athletes that have families that aren't doing this for a living mm-hmm. um, and are also are sometimes in, in a lot of cases trying to lose a little bit of weight just to be more healthy um, and I think that that has to come into play yeah um, I mean I struggle with that oh, sure. on like a heavy week I feel like I'm eating nonstop, and then all of a sudden you have a recovery week and you want to just keep, you know, oh, I, yeah, you yeah. got to learn to, to change. It, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. And I think that that it could be in the micro cycle where it's like on a week to week basis or it could be in that macro cycle, which it's like on the year basis. Yeah, so like yeah. during your off season, you know, carb intake should be a lot different um, than when you're in peak training where you're doing twice as much and that's, load. So that's one thing from my perspective when you ask about optimal diet, you know. I, I hear a term a lot that I really like and it's earn your carbs. Yeah. You know, obviously I think carbs are, that is the number one source of energy and they're always important for an endurance athlete. But again, you know, if you're having a really light week, if you're after a race in the off season, you're taking two weeks off, your carb intake should not be the same as, you know, your key week in the race prep phase, you know, six weeks out from your race yeah, yeah. and you're doing two sessions a day. Sure. Um, yeah. So I think that earn your carbs thing is important. Yeah. You know, don't just eat simple carbohydrates because, oh, I'm craving sugar right now. You know, like you should have a reason that you're, you're earning those carbs. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, I think that's, that's a great way to think about it. And, um, <clears throat> I think, yeah, I mean, you know, we'll kind of get into this when it comes to like uh, just carbohydrate intake in general. Um, you know, how some people view it as the enemy and it's something that you should avoid in all cases. And then some people are on the opposite end of the spectrum where it's like it all you do is carbs. It's the only thing that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that philosophy has changed over time with more research and, you know, more more experience and just better technology, better better products to consume yeah. during racing and training. Um, so what yeah, has yeah. what has worked well for you in the past? Then? Yeah, so I would say in the past um, that that periodized approach. So when I am training hard, when I do expect to perform well in training sessions, making sure to supplement with plenty of carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. You know, keeping it simple, um, but also you know, on a week to week basis, doing a couple sessions in the early morning where they're more endurance or active recovery sessions fasted, you know, just to help elicit that fat burning response and to train your body to be better at doing so. Um, it's amazing. Like I, you, I used to laugh at the thought of doing a fast workout. I'm like, are you kidding? There's no way I can wake up not having eaten for whatever, 10, 11 hours and then do a 50 minute bike. Um, but now unless it's like an intense workout or I'm doing a night workout into a morning workout, 
like I do mo you know quite a few of those workouts in the morning fasted and it feels great. Yeah, yeah, and I think even more so, it's even more so important for those doing like long course events mm-hmm. where you burn through your glycogen stores depending on how well your metabolic flexibility is um, within 90 minutes to a couple hours. So if you're out there for half distance, full yeah. distance, like, and you're you're constantly consuming processed sugars in your daily nutrition and in training you're gonna you're gonna burn through those and, and have nothing left left and, and more yeah i mean off. i think it's another part of training you're training yeah. your body to to rely on different fuel sources yeah and yeah. that you're not always just gonna have the perfect situation where you have a breakfast and before every single training session sure. right yeah um, not and if, have you found anything specifically along the whether it's the same type of things or that have worked well for you or yeah i mean i like i said for the longest time i would never have done a fast oh, workout sure, yeah. you know i was just always of the the mold that you you know you eat before you eat during you eat after and and i think you know it's not like i'm saying that that that's not that that's incorrect um but you know, like I said, now I do do some of those morning fasted workouts. Um, I think anything over an hour, typically, um, unless it's circumstantial, I like to have something on, on the bike, on the run, yeah. um, whether even if it's just like a gel or some water. Um, so I, I, that's pretty important for me. Like this morning, I did a two hour ride. And, you know, so I, I would not consider that an option for a fasted workout. Yeah. You know, for me, that's a little too long to not take anything on. Yeah. Um, so I think that's pretty important too. And and along those lines of uh, fasted sessions, I would say probably, you know, a couple times a week is kind of the max that I would, I would suggest. Yeah, it's not, agreed. there's no, nothing specific research wise that says like, that's, that's what you should shoot for. But in just personal experience and, and experience with the athletes, um, you have to remember that anything, anytime you do a fasted session, it will increase your recovery time because you're just being becoming more depleted, and then it will increase your cortisol levels, which is your stress hormone. And if you don't fuel well after, and that's really the crucial piece, is making sure to really fuel and rehydrate and yeah. and eat a good meal post workout to help elicit that. So yeah, and one thing that I remember bringing up or you bringing up over the course of us training is talking about when you place more of an emphasis on, you know, forget the fasted workouts, just the regular workouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you place more of an emphasis on upping your caloric intake on those workouts, especially on heavy weeks, it makes a huge difference with how sore, at least me, how sore I am the next day. Yeah, yeah. If I do a long ride and I kind of just blow off the nutrition side of it, grab a gel on my way out and that's it. Versus a long ride where I'm like planned with it, I have, you know, 300 calories an hour with nutrition on board there's always a difference between how i feel the next day oh, yeah, i think yeah. that makes a huge difference on how your body can process the workout sure and it's not you know eating afterwards and getting protein afterwards is super important but taking stuff during oh, is equally yeah. as important yeah 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 and it's the uh the cumulative effect from those those long training weeks those high volume weeks where you're doing two sessions a day or, or whatever that might be, it just, you, you might be able to get through those first few days of the week, but yeah. what happens come Friday when yeah. you've just constantly been depleted? Empty, yeah. yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, and exactly. one, th- one other thing, you know, you asked what has worked well for me, I guess this is a newer phenomenon, and it's what I plan on trying this upcoming season, but, 
you know, I've found liquid calories yeah. has made a huge difference. Now, and not even like as far as stomach goes, you know, I typically don't have too many stomach problems. Like I'm pretty good at being able to eat. But like I like Ironman Wisconsin last year, half of the stress I incurred was how am I going to take in this many calories on this bike ride? Yeah, you know, yeah. like how many cliff bars can I open the wrapper of and you're an arrow? Um, so now that I've been trying to use like the perpetuum stuff, yep. yeah, um, and you can fit like 1200 calories in a bottle. Yeah. I, I think that's how I'm going to try it this summer. And I'm really hoping that that can take a lot of that stress, you know, because nutrition truly is the fourth discipline Yeah, and it could cause just as much stress as the actual act of doing any <laughs> of the, you know? Yeah, no, that's great. I think the, the eating type personally, again, everyone's different in what you know whether or not they're going to be out there for 17 hours or out there for nine hours yeah. you know for an iron distancer or, you know it, it makes a huge difference at what you can consume and actually absorb yeah because the intensity is so different so i guess on the other hand do you have you had anything that's like not worked it's like wow that was that is not for me <laughs> yeah and i mean if, if, if you're an endurance athlete that haven't had anything that hasn't worked for you you're 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 blessed to, yeah um so I would say what probably hasn't worked the best is when I try to combine like use any type of sports drink where you're basically in that case, you're trying to combine your calories, oh, yeah. electrolytes and hydration all into one rather than like perpetuum, for example, it's a, so you're distinguishing between the two though, right? Yeah. Like yes. You're not talking about like a perpetuum type. Product. No. Yeah. Cause the, how I kind of think about perpetuum, especially the way I make it, it's very concentrated or any type of like. Um, yeah. like multi-hour bottle. Yeah, it doesn't have to be petrol specifically, but that's your that's basically like a, a thick like gel like consistency. Very caloric. Yeah. yeah, and then you you have additional water to help supplement, and that's your hydration piece. Yeah. But I would say what hasn't worked well is when I do a sports drink and I try to use one drink for all three of those. So I get my hydration or water with the calories with the electrolytes, and I don't separate them out. Yep. No, that's. So yeah, that's that's separate kind of those buckets of nutrition into different modes, yeah. essentially. Yeah, I mean personally, I nothing. I mean, it's honestly more specific. I've tried in the past. Um, I went through a phase of like thinking that oh, those individual packs of peanut butter are so caloric. Oh. Like, talk <laughs> about just a burst of calories. And I actually tried that on one of the fifty k's I did. You know, so thirty one miles of running. And I brought like four packs of peanut butter with me, and it was not good. <laughs> peanut butter High does, fat does oh. not Ooh. process well when you're in the middle of something that stressful. Um, so it wasn't terrible, but I can tell you that that will not be um, a route that I I go again. So yeah. that was something that you, you you learn as you go with something like that. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And um, yeah. So I think you know when it comes to like specific products, like we've already kind of alluded to. Yeah. Um, like I really, you know, any type of gel, I, I, I mean, everybody has their preferences taste wise, yeah. but I like goo gel cause they have so many varieties. It's interesting with goo. Some people swear by them. Yeah. Some people swear against them. Like, sure, oh, yep. if I have a goo, I'm screwed. Oh, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, the hammer nutrition products just in general, like I like their That's recovery what, products, perpetuum the is. perpetuum. Yeah. Um, and then they also make like a electrolyte tablet, like the Endurolites, very similar to salt stick or whether you do a base salt or there's so many different ways yeah, to get those electrolytes. Yeah. yeah. Those too. And then when it comes to like more of a natural bar, I really like picky bars. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I use a lot of those too. The main thing, honestly, with the gels, 
The only gels I buy now are those science and sports ones. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The SIS. I mean, they they give the same their same calorie base yep. as like a goo or anything. Usually they're always ninety ish. Yeah. Um, but the nice thing about those supposedly now for me, I end up usually taking water on afterwards. Yeah. Um, but they're much less viscous. They're much more water based. Yeah. Um, so th- I think the claim behind those is that you don't need to uh, take on water to help digest it. Yeah. Um, they're much more of a standalone gel where you could be in between aid stations feeling like you need to take something on, take one of those and not feel like guilty that you didn't immediately drink water. Have water afterwards. with it. Yeah, that that gel, I, I definitely, when it comes to like keeping, you know, just a variety of things, yeah. you know, whether it's when you're biking or, or running during a race, if you are without water, those would be a great option because yeah. they are, I don't know if there's a ton of other isotonic gels or that's kind of what they're referring to. I haven't, I haven't as, looked but, into it, but... I, like those are always the ones I hear yeah. about. Yeah, you can. And like I said, it. I use those a lot. I mean, I use some this morning. And the other funny thing too is what you told me. You were like, "Oh, I'll take those out skiing, and they get nice and frozen. They taste like a lollipop. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Like it's oh, like just yeah. a little frothy, you know? Like they're great. They're super refreshing when they're really cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, I mean, during the summer, nothing tastes good when it's hot. <laughs> well, see the problem. Oh yeah, the problem oh, is, yeah. is that like the viscous ones, like goo, oh, yeah. when it's that cold, they're oh. almost like frozen. Yeah, it's like you can't get them out of the package. Mm-hmm. So these ones, even if you're running or skiing in the winter. You could still actually use them if they've been sitting in your pocket for like two hours. Oh, so. sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Another topic uh, that we want to cover under nutrition and fueling is carbo-loading. Um, you know, I think that's a big one. Maybe there's some misconceptions out there. Uh, and I think it's important to clarify that it's it's more than just eating a big plate of pasta the yeah. night before a race. Yes, yes. Uh, there's a lot more to it. Um, so I think you're going to start us off with yeah. a technical definition. Yeah. So kind of the definition of carb loading for those that maybe aren't, uh, um, you know, don't know that much about it. It's more or less uh, uh, just increasing carb intake uh, to improve your athletic performance for endurance events by increasing the amount of fuel stored in your muscles, which would be your glycogen stores. Um, carb loading occurs when you eat a high carb diet in the same time that you scale your back, your activity in the days before an event, such as like a taper. So that's kind of the technical definition. Um, and I think coming back to our nutritional conversation, the key with this is that you still need to have that metabolic flexibility. So you Mm -hmm. still need to be able to utilize fat efficiently and carbs is going to take you to that next level. So it's just going to give you that additional fuel source for those high intensity intervals uh, within a race or during training. Well, um, I think yeah. yeah. So the so the important thing, like when you look at maybe a, a half Ironman, you know, it's again just like everything else in nutrition, it's it's different by the person. But you know, you do the main focus. We talk about eighty twenty, all that stuff, aerobic, aerobic. You know, training that that efficient system. That doesn't mean that your half Ironman or, or that race is all going to be aerobic. Yeah. And conversely, just because, you know, we talk about carbs and we're doing carbo loading doesn't mean that all you're going to be using is glycogen sources. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the flexibility is the key word here. Cause it talks about the fact that you need a system yep. that can efficiently use different fueling systems. Yeah. Yep, you know, yep. and obviously carbo loading is really helping it by maximizing those as much as possible. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's, you know, and, and how you develop that flexibility is, 
you know, strategically doing workouts in a low carb or fasted state um, within your schedule. But then as you build into that race, that's where you start doing some of that carb loading yeah. to maximize your stores. I think a key part of the definition that you talked about here was when you eat high carb diet at the same time you scale back your activity levels. So that, so that I think is the trickiest part, you know, especially at your A event, you're going to be doing a three day load, you know, it's not just the day before. Sure. And the numbers that you're eating, I mean, if it feels like, oh my, you feel gluttonous, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's an incredible amount that you actually need to eat <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. to hit the numbers that sure. are the recommended numbers. And then on top of that, you're in the middle of a taper. So you're going from your highest intensity weeks to completely scaling that back. So you're not burning the calories. Mm -hmm. You know, as like a driven endurance athlete, it seems totally counterintuitive. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, my training's <laughs> going down, but I'm stuffing my face. <laughs> yeah, I should, I should, yeah, exactly, yeah. So, but, but that, that's the right way of doing it. Yeah. Because what you're, you're not using that fuel and you're building it up as much as you can in those days prior to the race. So yeah. it's just important to understand that. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that, that, uh, it takes practice, just like anything. You know, you're, you're training your gut to, to take in fuel during the race, you're training your stomach to handle the the, the carb loading prior to, and um, and there's a couple different methods that that I personally use um, that that both of us personally use when it comes to what we recommend to our athletes, and and they're they're research backed. Um, you know, again, individual to individual, it could be you know it can make a huge difference. So you have to figure out what works best for your stomach. Um, and, and, and for your, your specific race distance and the intensity you're going at too. Mm -hmm. Um, so the first method, um, I would refer to as like the depletion method. And, and this, this seems to work really well for a lot of people. This is what I've done personally for, for years and years and years. And it's a 24 hour approach prior to your race, race, uh, race start. And it's actually, uh, the research is actually out of Western Australia where they do, uh, 24 hours prior to the race, you do a short bout of very intense exercise, um, usually around three minutes and 30 seconds, 30% uh, above, like if you were on the bike, it'd be like 30% above your FTP. And those last 30 seconds would be like an all out sprint. And the goal there is to just deplete your glycogen stores and really make your body receptive to glycogen storage. But the key, the key with that, that type of, of, of method is that following those intervals, 24 hour prior to your race, you would have 10 to 12 grams of carbohydrates per kilogram of body weight, which is a ton. It's, yeah. it's a lot of food. Yep. Um, and I can't remember, did we, have you tried that method before or have you done just the, the more three 72 hour kind of lead in or? I don't, I think, no, no, I okay. haven't. It, most of mine have been, cause that seems to be the way I leaned is like yeah, the yeah. three day. Yeah. yeah. But we've definitely discussed it. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I ever actually did it now that I'm thinking about yeah. it. And that it can be for, um, you know, for those that maybe just feel like they, they just, they don't feel the best when they take in those multiple days of high carb That's nutrition. That's where it's beneficial. Moving it into 24 hour period, you just have to do it for that short of time. And yeah. it, I feel personally, it just, it just helps me mentally as well. So is that one you, you'd prefer? That's what I like to do okay. uh, personally. But, but again, uh, people have just as much success with, with one or the other. Yeah. Um, and then the the no depletion carb loading method um, would be more or less eating a norm normal carbohydrate uh, diet 
like the week leading into a race, ex excluding those last three days prior to, which you'd increase it to about 70% of your total um, caloric intake. Yep. Uh, and again, with the decreased training, you're going to naturally uh, load those glycogen stores even more. But uh, and that's what you've kind of done is that three-day kind yeah. of, yeah. Yeah, I think every time I've done it. You know, I wonder if, I wonder if the 24-hour approach um, maybe is more suitable for someone who races quite frequently sure. and sees the benefit of carbo loading and, you know, they have a summer filled with races, but it's hard for them to constantly be in this swing of half their week, they're just stuffing their feet, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. maybe it's more of like a concentrated approach for someone who's like, all right, I got a bike race next weekend. I got, you know, a swimming race and then a try and they want to still carbo load. Yeah. Um, that way it's, you know, the day before and the race. Uh, and so, you know, that might be a better approach for that type of athlete. As always, we are going to end this podcast with our monthly quote. This month's quote is by Lewis Carroll. In the end, we only regret the chances we didn't take. So find that thing you've been putting off and go do it. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We will see you next month.